says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to the preview edition of the tip sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me in the co-pilot seat, as always, is my main man, 60s. We've got an action-packed show, plenty to talk about this week, mate. But first off, how you doing? Mate, I'm doing really well, out of ISO. Actually got back to training at uh, Kellyville today. Checked out what the Eels were up to in their uh, main session of the week. So it's really full steam ahead into the weekend's footy. Yep, and like I said, it's the preview podcast, which means we've got Spiro, we've got, well, not news this week, but something a little bit different. We'll get to that shortly. And of course, uh, free big games to preview across the Jersey flag, New South Wales Cup, and the NRL, of course. No more junior reps, mate. They're all done and dusted. Tasha Gale, last team left standing, unfortunately falling one game short of the grand final. And they'll be back bigger and better in 2023. But for now... Let's go behind the mic. Yes, we've got Spiro's takes on what's been happening for the Eels. And it's also been a big week in the NRL news and rumour-wise. So, Spiro, welcome back to the tip sheet. Nice to speak to you again, guys. And a little bit happier this week after a good win (laughs) against Newcastle. Yeah, much better this week. Well, mate, all the the talk uh, immediately before the game, because the news only came out immediately before the game about the... Uh, inclusion of Jake Arthur and the shift of Dylan Brown, but that was the that was the talk uh, straight before the game. What was your thoughts on how it all planned out, panned out? So about twenty four hours before kickoff, guys, I saw some iron. Sneaky Pete, he is a listener of the Cumberland Throw podcast. So a quick little shout out to Sneaky Pete. He got the mail to me that the change was going to happen. Arthur was going to go into the halves, and then. Brown shift out to the centre. So I had a bit of an idea based on Sneaky Pete's prediction pre-game that that would have happened. In my opinion, I think that it, on the whole, worked pretty well. Jake Arthur did his job. I think he put a really, really solid performance in. Defensively, he looked good. And I think a little bit of an improvement on what we've seen maybe last year. He had a good pre-season. And I was happy with what I saw from Jake Arthur. And the same with Dylan Brown. Him and Hayes Perham had a really nice combo there in the centres and on the wing. And I think that worked well. But in terms of the impact that you get from Dylan Brown, I think it was a lot less um, with him being in the centres than if he was at 5'8". So as good as it was, and I think you know he scored that try and he shaped up pretty well, what you got out of him in the value from Dylan Brown wasn't as much in the centres than at 5'8". We heard him uh, yesterday speak when the team landed in Darwin saying that he's happy to play wherever he needs to and whatever Brad wants to do, he'll follow the lead. However, his preference is playing at 5'8", and I think that especially off the back of the strong start to the year that we've seen from Dylan in the halves, he wants to be playing there and continuing to build on that form as we head on into this season, and especially uh, with a huge game next week against against Penrith, you're going to want to have Dylan Brown back in the halves. So fingers crossed, everything goes to plan and he can shift back there for next week's game, but I think that as, a, as an impact and you know, his contribution to the team, he's making a lot more of a difference at 5'8 than at centre. I don't know what you guys no, think no, about I that. Think, I think that's take. it's pretty clear that, you know, one off the ruck or two off the ruck, depending on the offensive shape from halfback to 5'8 sometimes, is where Dylan is really shining. And and move to the centres is obviously one that's been uh, necessitated by necessity 
um, more than anything else with just a almost running barren on the amount of outside backs left at the club eligible to play first grade. But I do appreciate that uh, in doing this move, Arthur and the coaching staff had a very clear game plan to keep him involved in the first receiver capacity. And we saw, if you go back and watch that game, um, there's plenty of times where he's in that first receiver or the second receiver, the playmaking second receiver, and, and attacking Newcastle in that capacity. It's not just locked into the centre role. So I agree, Spiro. Yeah, the sooner he gets back to 5 is obviously better for him and the team. Um, and hopefully in the coming weeks, I know that Sean Russell's due back uh, not too far off, and um, we've still got a few uh, question marks around the other guys, but hopefully for us we can get back, it gives us options to get him back into the, the harvest properly. Yeah, and the other thing too is, I think uh, BA said post-match that Dylan's position is 5'8", and that this is what's going to work for the team for the time being. Um, I know Dylan basically... He regards himself as he works for BA, whatever position BA wants to be uh, playing him in, that's 100% fine for, for him. Um, in terms of when it's likely to change, I don't see it changing in the short term, to be honest. I I, I think you're probably looking at um, two, three, four weeks away before we get some of these players back. So I don't, to be honest, I, I'm looking forward to the team performing well with that structure this week because I think I don't I don't think it's going to change for that Penrith game. I think it's going to be a case of um, we need that lineup to be in the groove by the time when we take on Penrith. And incidentally, there was a bit of mail floating around that uh, um, you've got Brian uh, Toto and uh, Spencer Lenu. Yeah, yeah both going to be back for that game. Yeah, but they got they got yeah. I think uh, Brandy Alexander was saying that he wouldn't be surprised to see him back uh, into the fold. So Penrith be close to full strength. Mm. Yeah, yeah, look, it is what it is, and we'll and knowing our resilience and our capacity as a team, we'll just get on with the job and we'll put our best foot forward, regardless of who the lineup is. But the preference would be to have uh, Dylan back at five eight for that crucial game. But they'll they'll get on with the job, and I'm sure that we'll just overcome whatever hurdles we have to, and hopefully get the win next week. Exactly. Now, just um, staying with the spine, mm. there was a bit of uh, criticism uh, about Reed Marnie's performance the previous week against the Tigers, probably justified there, uh, but a much better game against uh, on the weekend against the Knights. Potentially his best of the year so far, guys. I thought he was just outstanding um, in terms of his attack. He had two try assists in the first 50 minutes of that game. He had a charge down um, in that, I think it was that second half from memory, but then he had another try assist for Papali'i in the second half. And I think that service from dummy half is something we're going to miss a lot next year from Reid Marnie and his vision and his foresight. We've spoken about it in a lot of podcasts, but it would not be fair of me if I didn't mention his fantastic performance against Newcastle and what he brings to that side and the structure and the, the vision is just huge. So he was great. I thought he was fantastic. He had a hand in a lot of our tries. He set up a lot of them. And just the way that he goes about his business is so impressive. And I just love watching him play. And it's going to be hard to fill that void. Josh Hodgson, I'm sure, will do a great job. However, he's not going to be Reid Marnie in that young, youthful, exciting, different style of um, hooker that we've had from Reedy. So, mate, aside from individual performances against the Knights, what was your takes on 
what the Eels did much better than what they, than what was dished up against the Tigers. Huge improvement in my eyes, guys. I think that they didn't try to overplay their hand. That was a big issue in that Tigers game. We tried to score off every play, but in this Newcastle game, you could see that they were just a lot more patient as a side. They were waiting for their opportunities to come, and when those opportunities came, we capitalised it and we jumped on it. And I think that's crucial because especially when you've got Penrith coming up next week, and you've got a team like the Cowboys who have been in good form, you've got to be a little bit more disciplined as a side. And the discipline last week, I think, was fantastic. And it's not always about the scoreline um, the whole game. It's a little bit about it's that mind game, that slow burn and that slow death. And I think we did that really well against Newcastle. We waited. We were patient. When those um, you know sneaky little opportunities came, whether it be from Isaiah Papali'i crushing over or even Will Penasini to score that lucky try off the kick, that is, you know, what we need to be doing. We need to just wait for our turn. And when we, we've got that little chance, that little opening of the door, we need to jump in there. And we did that really well against um, Newcastle as a side. And I was really impressed with that as a fan. And it was good to see that they, they learned something out of that Tigers performance. And as bad as that loss was, it was good to see that they were able to say, look, we did that wrong. We overplayed our hand at something with, which Brad hates. And then they turned it around. Um, less than seven days later against the Knights. And I was really happy with that. And, that, that's- and close, I was going to say closer to an 80-minute performance. Yeah, I think so. I think it was probably one of the closest 80-minute performance we've had of this year so far. Against the Dragons, yes, it was. It was a really dominant one. But this was a, gr- a win that we sort of grinded out, you know, out with defence. We kept turning up in defence and we took our attacking opportunities and i think it was close to an 80 minute performance so pretty faultless in my eyes. yeah i think uh, you boys are both spot on and going back to what you just said before spiro i think uh, as frustrating as that west tigers loss was and you know it, it is important that we learn from that there it is also good to see that the team responded in the best possible way as you said getting back to the fundamentals playing just good sound football for 80 minutes and it's a, a good sign that even if the team does slip up They've got it in themselves to learn quickly. 100%. And, and the thing is, guys, when you have a bad loss against the Tigers and you've got the media on your back saying, are Parramatta premiership contenders? Are they pretenders? It's, it's a lot of pressure on the side and you want them to respond the best way possible. And they did that against Newcastle. And this week you've heard there hasn't been much criticism at all of Parramatta. And they did a good job. They, it was a slow build. They got there. They put the points on late in the game, which also helped our for and against and, and helped sort of make a bit of a statement. So it was an all-round great performance and the best possible way to respond. And probably the thing that would have pleased BA the most is that even with that big lead towards the end, they, they weren't going to let Newcastle get over the line. For yeah, any, one, any. one penalty goal, no tries is a great defensive effort. Huge. I, when was the last time we kept the team trialless? Um, it's a, a hard stat to sort of recall. I was trying to we had for we a had game. we had a shutout before of the Melbourne Storm. I think before the the uh, Rabbitohs absolutely pants us in uh, was it twenty twenty or twenty twenty one? I think it was twenty twenty. Yeah, that, that might have been our last shutout uh, when we uh, beat the Storm. I think fourteen nil or something like that. And yeah, yeah, so. right. So it's been a couple of years. Yeah, but the way that they, my observation was with about twenty minutes to go. I think we're up by about twenty six or something. And we had a strong lead. You could see we we're going to win that game. Newcastle didn't really have didn't really have much in attack, or they weren't showing any huge glimpses of hope. But the fight from Parramatta was as if the scores were 
level or very close. And that's what you want to see. Even Mitch Moses kicking that field goal, it's a good practice run because After when what, he's caught in situations, yeah. you good. want him to be able to kick those field goals. And he did that with ease and he, he was able to do it in a game-like scenario and game-like situation, which was really positive. But yeah, their determination, their fight, especially after building such a strong lead, was really impressive. And that's the standard that needs to be the case every week. Our guys need to go out there with the mentality that scores a level right until the end of the game. And it's a really good simulation of close matches that we're going to have throughout the year. And it prepares us well for what's to come. So I was really, really happy with that as well, guys. Now, there's there's plenty of interesting news floating around in the NRL, I'm sure. A lot has been the talking point from uh, your perspective within the media. Um, mm. There's there's obviously been plenty that's been generated by the media takes. But let's start off with the the fallout from the the Roosters Dragons game on Anzac Day, where we saw the the tackle from Tupu, and then this wild inconsistency that's still there with uh, refereeing decisions and judiciary decisions. What, what was your takes there? What, what's, what's, the, what's the view out there in the media? Very frustrating. And we saw that pretty much as soon as a full-time siren blew. We heard it in the press conference with Anthony Griffin making that huge statement that if that happened in Magic Round last year, that uh, Tupo would have been sent to jail. He would have copped some jail time. Bit of a funny ingest comment, but it's true. If that was last year, that would have been so, at least a send-off well, to give it a little at bit Magic more, Round. To give it a little bit more grounding, Tyrell Fulmiano clobbered uh, Ryan Pappenhausen high in Magic Round. He got, what, five, six weeks and a send-off? So, Correct. Uh, to see that then, and then, I mean, Fulmiano's arm was down fairly low to the ground and came up, hit, him, hit a falling guy, whereas in this case, Tupo has come over the top of a clothesline from hell. Uh, it was blatant. Yeah, yeah. it was. It, you know, and obviously Tupo's he he's had a real. Like we talked about the the records getting reset earlier in the uh, the year, but he's been a relative queen skin in general. But that doesn't excuse the fact it was a, a reckless uh, a shot, not a careless shot. It's it's frustrating as a fan as well. Like you look at the media, but you look at it as a fan. It's just so annoying to see these inconsistencies because you've seen examples of the exact same hit throughout the year on multiple occasions players instantly being sent to the sim bin and instantly copying weeks on the sideline. And then because it's the Roosters and because it's Tupo, maybe that wasn't the case. Um, We actually had Andrew Abdo appear on Widewater Sports, our radio show, after full-time as well. And we asked him to weigh in on the controversial hit. He was very clear in saying as well that it should have been a sim bin and it was direct contact to the head and it um, it was blatant. So from a... NRL point of view, from a club point of view, from a media fan point of view, it was all very clear to everyone that it should have been a Simbin, but the inconsistencies are starting to get really frustrating. Yeah, and, and I think on all we've got all this technology, we've got all these fantastic um, bunkers and whatnot, but we're not able to make these simple decisions um, or we're not ma- able to make these decisions correctly. Yeah. Well, yeah. there was not only did Tupu have – time on his side when it came to deciding how he was going to tackle the bloke and, and that was one of the talking points was this was this was not a reflex action this was him making a decision about how he was going to tackle it but when you've got the bunker who has time to review that's what an kills you like that that is what kills and, the 60s yeah uh, so let me get this right we had the referee out in the middle who was dropped as a result of this <laughs> But 
no repercussions for the, for the Ashley Klein was it in the market this on that particular? Game? It was Ashley Klein. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I'm I'm stunned by that, and, and I my fear, however, out of all of this is the is the proverbial overreaction yeah, this week, always, the, the, the knee jerk that happens, yeah. and where lesser incidents attract stiffer penalties, and I hope that we don't see it. I really hope that the lesson is that bad tackles, like real foul tackles, are met with the appropriate consequences and you don't see, like, things that are undoubtedly accidents or um, or, or just something that goes wrong and, and, and even minor tackles result in... in uh, sin bins or, or send offs. I, I just hope that that doesn't happen. But just moving away from that now, there's a bit of t- there was a bit of talk around Manly this week with um, and it surrounded the return of John Schuster, Josh, Josh but Schuster. also about his um, a little clause in the contract. Was it about being able to play five eight? Bizarre, a little bit unusual. But Danny Widler had the scoop on this one uh, from Channel Nine. News basically, the clause in the contract says that Schuster it has to play in the halves at 5'8 when he's at Manly. That's a part of his contract, it's a clause. And in my opinion, if it's a matter of re signing Schuster under that clause or re signing foreign and potentially Schuster going elsewhere, I'd be doing everything I can to keep Josh Schuster because he's a rising talent. We saw him last year play a lot in the forward pack, and he was very impressive. But the skills and the versatility that we saw there, I'm sure, will translate to what we see at 5'8". And he's the future of that club. Kieran Foran has probably got maybe, maybe one more year after this season. But that's a stretch. And I think that whatever they have to do to keep Schuster, they should be doing. And unfortunately, Foran, I think he's going to have to hang up the boots at the end of this year. He's had a good run. He's now very much at the back end of his career. If he wants to go to the UK and play there, he's got that option. But I think that his future at Manly, um, it's no more than this year. I think Schuster's the man going forward. But it's a, a bit of a weird clause in the contract. You don't usually see it. And I doubt that that would be the case with someone like Dylan Brown, for example. But that's his preference. That's where he wants to play. That's where he thinks he's going to be most valuable to the side and his market value will be uh, you know, at, at its highest and at its best. I wonder how many contracts out there has has the player stipulating what position they'll be yeah, selected. It's, it's got to be a fairly unique clause. Yeah, mm. uh, it, and I'm, if I'm a coach, I don't know that I want the player to be dictating to me Team sheets, where yeah. I select him. For sure. For sure. I, I mean, there's no, there's I no doubting Schuster's talent. He is obviously a very skilled young uh, player. Yeah, and, and like uh, I, can, I can tell you one thing as well, um, Spiro, that uh, John and I are on board in terms of the talent that we believe Schuster has. One of the things that dis- disappointing was that he was able to escape Parramatta's grasp, and there, there were reasons behind that. But he is a he is a major talent, and um, uh, but you know, I, I I I just look at that and I think if I'm a club, there is no way I am putting in a clause that guarantees that a player will be selected in a particular position in first grade for whenever he's selected in first grade. I, um, or, you know, I, I just, I can't, I can't get my head around the, the coach 
not being able to have the complete say in where he selects players based on what the team needs in any given week. So, and maybe maybe Schuster's a little bit more flexible on that. I I don't know, but um, yeah, very unusual there. Um, it is. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, now, <laughs> there's there's certainly some worrying signs for a couple of clubs out there that just can't seem to get their season started, or 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 even, well, actually, a couple of them did start their season reasonably well, but have very quickly fallen in a hole. Um, must be some coaches under pressure out there. Maybe uh, maybe there's one that's not too far away from coaching his last game of the season. I agree. I think there are three clubs, to be honest, at the moment, which are under the most pressure in terms of or coaches under the most pressure. The Bulldogs, the Knights, and also the Warriors. So from a Bulldogs point of view, we'll kick off with them. Gus and Trent Barrett have a very, very close relationship. They're Good friends. They've known each other for many years. We know that Gus has a history of getting rid of coaches. He did it with Anthony Griffin and uh, Ivan Cleary at Penrith. And I, in my opinion, I think that it's inevitable. You've got to get rid of the coach. Something has to be done. They've got the roster. They've got the team on paper. They're not performing and they're not getting results that everyone expected. This was meant to be the year for the Bulldogs. They might crack possibly close to top eight. I know they haven't got a proper hooker. I'll get that with Reid Marnie next year. But still, no excuses for this Bulldog side. They finally got a team on paper which has the ability to potentially crack into the top eight. They've got premiership winners in there in Josh Adokar, in Matt Burton, etc. So there are really no uh, excuses here. I think Barrett has to go. But from what I am hearing on the ground, guys, um, Barrett is not going to be sucked because Gus and the relationship that they have um, basically – means that Barrett's future is protected, which is really bizarre. And I think that they've got to put their friendship aside and whatever they've had this previous sort of history and just make the best decision for the club. So I think Barrett's under huge pressure. I, I don't think he'll see the season out, but based on these sources, that may not be the case and he might, you know, see out the year. Newcastle, that's, yeah, go on. I was just going to say that's a, that's an interesting take because mm. uh, there's other aspect, other people out there in the media who are basically describing Barrett as, as a dead man walking at the moment that the Gould came in. But, of course, Barrett has then come he, – he's come out and said, look, this was his idea for Gould to um, get in there and be a different voice criticising the players. Mm. So that ties in – that pretty much ties in with uh, what you've – what you've been hearing then that he's um, that this was indeed Barrett's initiative to get Gould involved in the in the um, delivering the blasts to the players. It was. They've got a good relationship. They get on really well, and I think it's probably a smart move. But as I said, personal opinion, I don't think Baz will last a season. Professional opinion, based on what I'm hearing on the ground from a few sources, is that he will see the season out, and Gus respects him a lot and wouldn't do that to him. So that's the Bulldogs in a nutshell. Newcastle, Adam O'Brien went to the club, huge expectations. He was going to be the next big thing. Came from the storm under Craig Bellamy. We're expecting some real promising signs and some real improvement from the Knights. You can probably argue that we've seen that. They made the top eight the last couple of years. They're playing better football. But with the roster that they've got, especially this year, two wins is just not good enough. They're sitting 14th on the ladder and... I think there's some serious pressure building on Adam O'Brien behind the scenes, guys. Not that I know anything on this one, but I think that he's under huge pressure and, and he's also another coach that's, that he's going to be showing the door. That's definitely it's, the vibe that's coming across from the outside looking in, isn't it? That uh, 
after the whole Kalen Ponga sa- uh, contract saga and, and the fact they've slumped to five straight losses after a good start. Uh, and it's not just this year, it's obviously the last couple of years too where the Knights haven't really realised their potential. It, it does feel like O'Brien has uh, got his head on the block for sure. Well, Big even, time. even um, falling into the finals last year, there was a chasm between the top six and yes. everyone else. So, you know... I I really didn't think that the um, that the Knights were finals uh, worthy last year. It was it was really a case of uh, they qualified, but it was almost by default that they they made it there. Like it was got, just they got a wild card were, rather than actually earning a qualification. And yeah, yeah, they they were yeah. Like if we can use the term, best of the worst. Yeah, um, make up the numbers. Yeah, yes, yeah, like exactly. like literally. I mean. Like Para had a had a fairly solid win over them in the in the final series, but I, I, I look at it this year and I think they've at this stage they've gone backwards, and not in a little way, but in a big way. And yet, um, as you say, you look at the roster and you go, "There's this collection of current and former Origin players that are there that a lot of other clubs aren't able to assemble." Um, you've got a player that's been described as you know, like a, a freak of a talent uh, in Ponga, and he he's not going close to delivering the either the the pay packet that he's receiving or the hype that's always been around him. Um, we know that the moment that he has a good game, that he's going to be lauded, lauded by the media and lauded by um, supporters. But I see those performances as few and far between, if I'm honest. Um, mm. So is that a result of him? Because he's, I mean, I think he goes okay in origin football when he's played. But so is it? Is that come down to him? Does it come down to the coach? Um, ultimately, it's easier to change the coach than a whole roster, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And he's had, he's had three. This is his third year, I think, coaching at the night. So it's his third, third year, third go of it. And if they fail to make the finals this year, then serious trouble for O'Brien, in my opinion. And on to the, the third team, and I know this is a little bit of a, not a fresh one, but it's more recent given the demolition job that the Storm uh, put up last week, the Warriors and Nathan Brown. Uh, I think, yeah, he's second year coaching at the club. It's very tough, right? They're not playing at home. They're based out of Red Cliff. Uh, it's a very difficult situation for the Warriors, and I feel for them. But a, a result like that and players not putting effort in and not showing um, showing any promise at all and sort of giving up and throwing throwing in the towel, that's really, once again, not a top eight side. And, and Nathan Brown, unfortunately, wherever he's gone, he hasn't had too much success, whether it be you know at the Newcastle Knights where they were wooden spooners for quite a while and now at the Warriors. And I hope that they can turn it around. And I'm sure with a couple of wins, uh, they might get the monkey off the back. But that loss to the Storm will go down as one of the worst this year in the league. And pressure is continuing to build on. I think this week will probably be the barometer, won't it? How they, how they respond. He's like a pressure gauge and had him at the, the highest level. But look, it's one big loss. These things happen. Para have caught big losses like that in the past as well. And Brad Arthur's still the coach. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens it's there. It's just that there's a lot of tension in the league right now because you listed those three clubs fairly 
in terms of like having high stakes for the coaches there. But even outside of that, the, the pressure's been turned up on Justin Holbrook at the Gold Coast in recent weeks. Obviously, Ricky Stewart's uh, got probably more backing than most other coaches in his situation, given his ties to the club and his success in years past. But he's doing it tough in the, the nation's capital. And then we're, we're mm. just two weeks removed from uh, Michael Maguire being the first coach sacked this year. And he's had, obviously, a good win over Parramatta, a good win over the Rabbitohs. But that can quickly turn back the other way, too. It just feels that the, the landscape for coaches right now is so treacherous. It's fascinating. And you look at, as well, a few of the other teams. You look at the Broncos, get a couple of wins. And, you know, now who's talking about Kevy getting sacked? They're talking about signing him up on a long-term <laughs> deal. And yeah, he's got e- the Broncos into Cook the top eight provisionally. Yep. Say that again? Uh, he's got the, the Broncos into the top eight provisionally if they win over the Sharks on, first, on Friday night, uh, Thursday night. Goodness. Yeah, correct. So you look at that, you look at Hook Griffin, couple of wins and huge game this week. And I, I think, in my opinion, it's the game of the round. Dragons, Tigers, Sunday afternoon, Wynn Stadium, huge clash. And, um, you know, that one will be really important. Whoever wins that will be three on the trot and their coach well and truly off the chopping block. So very interesting landscape, as you said at the moment, with the coaches in the league. Now, talking about interesting and interesting landscapes, uh, I... All of the the pressure that Peter Volandis is trying to apply around the NRL and a potential grand final move, I've I've got some strong opinions on this. But I'm I'm first of all I'm interested in in, um, in what you're hearing, what your takes are on that. Spirit. Look, I want to give Peter Volandis a little bit of a wrap. I want by no means, guys, the NRL grand final should stay in Sydney. It should be here over year. That's my opinion. My take should be here every single year, like the AFL grand final. This is the home of Rugby League. They've got to hold the grand final here. However, I want to give Peter Volandis a bit of a wrap because the way that he's handled it negotiation-wise and strategically is really smart because he's putting the heat on the New South Wales government to build more good stadiums, invest in suburban grounds, and that's what you want. You want an upgrade of your Leichhardt Ovals, your Brookvale Ovals, your Shark Parks because that's the beauty of Rugby League, the suburban nature of it and I, I know that bank west and or combank sorry is a little bit different these days because it's one of those big upmarket commercial state stadiums however that investment and, and Volandi's putting the pressure on the government to make that decision is paying off because fans love going to footy every single week so i think the strategy by Volandi's is smart however by no means should the grand final ever be out of sydney it should be here every year and that's the end of the debate in my eyes well, I, I think it's interesting because if the state government doesn't budge to the extent that Volandis wants and the the grand finals are moved, even if it's for the short term, I think there would be a fan backlash uh, mm. around that because I'm, I agree with you as well, Spiro. I think that much like the AFL is based at the Melbourne Cricket Ground in terms of their grand final. And the, I know they had to move it in the last couple of years because of COVID, just as just as the NRL had to do um, last year. But you, you're talking about the spiritual home of a grand final. But there's not just that. There's the logistics around it as well. Uh, other states, we've sold off origin to mm. other states and, and, and other venues. But most of those venues in other states are AFL-type grounds. They are not rectangular stadiums. Now, you could talk about taking a grand final to Queensland to take advantage of the uh, of the 
fantastic stadium up there, the Suncorp. But you're then also talking about Queensland teams which are less likely to be in the grand final in the next few years. And you're taking the game away from the supporters. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the NRL being Sydney-centric. But you can't avoid the fact that the majority of the clubs are based in Sydney, and that's got the historical basis to it. And because the tradition is of the grand final in Sydney, they attract travellers to Sydney every year. Now, Volandis can use that as a pressure point talking to the government and saying, look, but you, are you willing to risk the tourism dollar? Are you, mm. are you willing to risk people travelling to Sydney to watch the grand final every year and the publicity and the promotion that comes around that. Uh, and I can understand that. But the the end result, if it is taken away, I think is horrendous because people make their plans around travelling to the grand final. There's people who come to the grand final, they don't care who's mm. in the grand final. That is a yearly trip that they make to come down and watch the rugby league grand final. You see that with anyone that's been to a grand final knows sometimes up to half the crowd there are not regular attendees of rugby league matches throughout the season. Yeah. It's, it's you know, you've got your collection of bandwagoners that jump onto a club that's performing well in the back half of the year or they pick a club to follow or people that travel from interstate, from the bush, whatever the case may be. As a, as a rugby league supporter of a club that's based in Sydney, my biased opinion is don't you dare take it away from mm. here. And, and the other thing, yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say, and it's not as if we've got a club that features, that we're following <laughs> a club that features in grand finals too often. Um, but I just can't, I just can't stay. And, and to be honest, like if they, if they had the grand final, and, and let's say they took it to Suncorp, for a decade or mm. five years, whatever the case may be. If my team makes it in there, it's going to cost me an arm and a leg <laughs> as a season ticket supporter to go and watch it. And I know, okay, the storm go through that uh, and 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 what have you. But I, I, as I said, that's my biased opinion. I, I just look at that and I just go, I don't want to be someone that's going to all the games through the year and then – I'm not only struggling to get a grand final ticket, I'm struggling to get accommodation. Yeah. Um, I've got to organise airs, air travel and all this sort of stuff. And, I, yeah, I just I can't, I can't get to grips with taking the game away from the fans and essentially that would be what would happen. For Plus, most years it would be taking the game away from the fans. Yeah. And the other thing is we've got an 80,000... See it stadium at Homebush, a core stadium, yeah. right? You go to Suncorp, it's half of that. So half of the fans that would want to be at a grand final yeah, are going to miss pretty, out. Pretty big That's deal. the other side of the yep. coin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. It's it just it basically means you're giving less people the opportunity to attend. And and, and I think we're all on board with with knowing what the motivations are with Volandis. Mm. And the thing is, because he's someone who if he says he's going to do something, he often he'll follow through on it. Uh, there's, whilst we can see there's a pressure tactics that's there. If if they call him on it, I think he'd follow through. 
Honestly, yeah. do I think he? I think he would take the game elsewhere. And I don't know that it's necessarily in rugby league's best interest because a few extra million dollars out there for um, that they might get from a bid from a, a state isn't going to help his case in terms of getting stadiums built in Sydney because if he wants stadiums built in Sydney and then he goes and he takes the game away, be it to Queensland or Melbourne or whoever is the highest bidder, how does that get a stadiums built in Sydney? Mm. Mm. Well, you know, are you going to get a backlash from the, the government that says, well, you're not going to play your, your showpiece game in Sydney. Why are we going to invest money mm. in in stadiums for your game? It may backfire, yeah. Yeah, I, look, I think historically that the NRL is suffering from the, the past administration where in there was – zero investment from the past administration in grounds, like mm. in, in, in in establishing grounds. And and um, and it's only been recently that we've been able to um, start to see that the Rugby League administration has an interest in working with governments in, in getting grounds built. Uh, prior to that, as I said, there's not, uh, you know, the AFL has always had a, a partnership and an interest in investing in the infrastructure of their game. And it's got stadiums built um, with some funding from them and funding from uh, governments that they worked alongside. Look at all the stadiums that have been rebuilt or reconfigured around Australia as a result of their association within the game. Then you compare it to the NRL, and we come up real short by comparison. Yeah, we do. And that, and that is a historical issue for our for our game. But, um, you know, I don't think it's something that's going to be fixed overnight with the threat of, um, oh, we'll take our grand final elsewhere. So, anyway, um, we move on. And uh, finally, a bit of early origin talk around. And uh, we, we actually saw uh, a couple of the combatants coming face-to-face in last night's clash. Uh, between the Broncos and the Sharks yeah. out in the centre, Talakai versus Stags, much hyped. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. So, um, what are you, what are you hearing around early Origin talk, mate? Interesting battle between the two centres last night, guys. It probably wasn't as exciting as we all sort of hyped up. It was so pre-game was so built up that these two were going to go at it for eighty minutes. In my opinion, Katoni Stags definitely the winner in that one. He was just much more dominant and. His defence uh, was fantastic, attacking brilliance. Poor Talakai has had a few big weeks and a lot of pressure on him. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think that he sort of lived up to that hype um, last night against the Broncos. In other early origin talk, there's word on the street that they want to keep the two Parramatta props together, the, the combo of Regan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Paula. They want them together for the New South Wales Blues, which I think works well and it's happened in the past, but... If they have those two together who have been absolute workhorses this year and we've uh, spoken about some of their individual stats uh, and then their combined stats as a a forward pack and a front row and they're just barnstorming. So it would be, uh, you know, without question, Brad Fittler would 100% be considering putting both of them in the side. Hopefully, Reid Marnie gets a run at hooker looking at Queensland. He's been really good so far this year. Harry Grant has been okay. He's been solid. But I think Reid's been the better hooker this year. So hopefully, Reid gets a run. In terms of other origin talk, 
there's not a whole lot around. There's a bit about that 14. Who's going to fill that void? Mm. Is it going to be Pappenhausen or Gutherson? Nico Hines is another It's a very diff- difficult one, Hines. I think probably Hines is a good option. What you want in that 14 is someone that can play various positions. Um, unfortunately, Pappenhausen can only really play fullback. So what's the point of having him there? As good as a fullback as he is, I just don't think it's worthwhile having having him on the bench. They should be looking at someone else in that 14 that can be versatile play in multiple positions, multiple roles. So maybe Hines, but it's still up for grabs. I think it's still a bit early. We're round eight this week, still a couple of weeks away from Origin teams being named. So it'll be interesting to see how, how, how it plays out. But I definitely think the two power front rowers are in prime position for uh, that starting role for the Blues. Especially given well, there's a little bit of talk about that frozen shoulder or AC joint issue for Big Payne Haas, who's obviously an outstanding mm. prop forward. Uh, it certainly would open the way for Reg to partner Junior in the starting front row. Yeah, and, and you also look at someone like Saifidi for Newcastle, where he and his team have just, just been absolutely struggling. Yep. Yeah, and, and if you're basing a, a team selections on form, and we know that that isn't, um, it's often not the case when it comes to origin that they have players that they believe have done the job before and they'll be the ones that they look to. Um, there, There is still a, an element of form that goes into each year's selection. Um, and, and then I'd question, because you were, you were talking before about Pappenhausen, um, it's arguable that he deserves a starting one ahead of uh, mm. Tedesco. That's been my gripe the last couple of years, guys. I think that a few times now... Clint Gutherson, Ryan Pappenhausen have both been playing good football, but they've missed out on a spot because Tedesco is that default fullback position because of his captaincy and because everyone regards him as the best fullback in the game. So I think definitely it'll be interesting to see how the next couple of weeks pans out and whether maybe something happens touch wood injury-wise to Tedesco. Never wish that upon anyone. But if an injury was to occur, then they're they'd probably slot, slot Pappenhaus in there straight away. Mm-hmm. But it's a shame that he's stuck behind Tedesco because I'd love to see Pappenhaus in that origin arena representing it, the Blues. It is always wild to see how much the tables turn. And I know that swings and roundabouts are a part of life as much rugby league, but you go back to when that Maroons dynasty was in full flight and it felt like they could field two or three teams that would beat the New South Wales ones. And now on the flip side, there are these selection dramas around New South Wales where they could field a New South Wales two that would have you know a very good chance of beating the Queensland ones. So just an absolute embarrassment of riches for the Blues at the moment. Yeah, mm, and, it's and, tough. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I, I mean, I, I know that Origin often plays out a lot differently to the odds and to the teams on paper, but jeez, oh, I think it'd be hard to see Queensland getting near New South Wales this year, but. Uh, we are at that time of year where there is that that talk that started, and uh, I, I think Talakai was the unfortunate um, consequence. His game the other night was the unfortunate consequence of hype, because he's been look, he's been a very good player for Cronulla this year, but that that game that he played against Manly just put the talk about him into the stratosphere mm-hmm. when. Um, basically, you had one team that couldn't handle him, and uh, one you know, player he comes that couldn't up handle him. And poor Morgan Harper was a, a boy against a man yeah. in that clash. Uh, I'm always a little. I mean, I, I do love watching Talakai in full flight. He is a very fun player to watch. But I'm always a little bit leery of those kind of backs. And I know that Talakai is as much a forward as he's a back because that Conrad Harrell, Conrad Harrell type centre pops up every now and then 
in the NRL, and they have some absolute barnstorming games. But uh, I think a lot of fans tend to get uh, over hope, over focused on those big games and ignore the real meat and bones performances, the ones that you know provide consistency. And yeah, it doesn't say that does not to say Talcai can't absolutely take over games. I've seen that, but it just feels like media are very quickly to buy into the hype of those kind of players. Yeah, and the other thing too, when you looked back at that game that he played against Manly, was the number of times that he was given a free run, like a completely free run where the defence was backing away from him. They just didn't want to commit to him. And mm-hmm. he was literally dictating whatever he, It looked like a training run, that try. The ideal circumstances for a through, yep. You'd see, you would honestly, you'd see that in an opposed session at training where, I mean, you have to think, you know, when they the commentators are going, I'll oh, stop it, when he's put that, that kick in. It was because when do you see a defence back off like that to the to the extent where a centre who you basically wouldn't ever see kicking the ball is suddenly putting in a crossfield kick for the try because the defence is doing nothing but back away, back away, back away. So their confidence is through his confidence was through the roof in that game. Mm-hmm. But I'll come back to the fact even in that game and we saw Manly come back, the Sharks didn't steer any of the football his way in the second half. You know, they may maybe they were contributing towards him having a quiet week this week because the Sharks had a quiet second half. They went away from their strengths. We've talked a lot about Parramatta going away from this from their strengths. Well, their strength was that edge in that game against Manly. And literally this their second forty minutes, they didn't play one bit towards it. And I and I'd argue they I don't know that they played too much in that direction against the Broncos either. Um, and when they did, I don't think you, you didn't have a defence that was backing away, backing away, backing away. So, you know, that's where I saw the difference coming out there. But, um, mate, uh, plenty that we've got through today on the yeah. NRL front. Um, what's uh, just let's finally just get your tip on the Parramatta game against the Cowboys. Um, give us a, um, uh, a, a score. Give us your... Mm-hmm. Give us your first try scorer. So a match yep. score, first try scorer and then your best on field. Interesting one. I love these uh, little smoky predictions, guys. It's a nice little addition as well to the podcast. In Darwin this week, we always seem to play well up there. I'm not sure if we lost the game in one, Darwin. One we game may have against lost the Cowboys, one, yeah. Against the Cowboys. So they're, they're our bogey team up in, uh, in Darwin. But I think we're going to get the win. Close one, 24 to 10, my score prediction. The Cowboys have been good so far this year. Mm-hmm. I had them as my wooden spooners, but so it we. looks like they're going <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to give, they're, they're give it a shake for the top eight. So yeah. 24 to 10 score line. First try scorer. Let's go with um, Reed Marnie. I think Reed is going to have a big one. He made his NRL debut at TIO Stadium in Darwin. He'll probably have a few of his family members up there, given that they're from up north. So let's say Reed first try scorer, twenty-four to ten, Parramatta winning, and Clint Gutherson man of the match. He always plays well in Darwin as well. So that's my uh, my pre-game predictions. Hoping for a win. I think I'm confident we're going to get a win, but um, especially with the conditions up there, it's a little bit of a benefit for the Cowboys. They're used to the warmer temperature, and that might play into their hands a little bit. But I think Parramatta are going to be too strong in the end. No, good shout, Spiro. As always, absolute pleasure to have you on the show and taking us behind the mic. It was a real big chat this week. We had a lot of good topics. And, yeah, and I'm looking forward to breaking down this game with you next week.
Brilliant stuff, guys. Go para, and we'll chat again next uh, next week on the pod. Cheers, mate. As always, thanks to Spiro for taking us behind the mic, talking all things Parramatta and all things NRL. And being a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of controversial stuff in the NRL recently, mate. But uh, thankfully, uh, none involving the Parramatta Reels. But let's move on. Uh, like we mentioned in the intro to this episode, not much to talk about when it comes to the Eels in the news this week, which obviously can be a good or bad thing. Where. Uh, baited breaths or got baited breaths on some signing news potentially down the road but for now uh, no good or bad news for the Eels so in lieu of uh, hitting that news stinger we're going to play a little bit of a party game and we're going to go with uh, a fantasy menu this week mate so rules are and for everyone listening at home you're welcome to play along in the comments on the Cumberland Throw you've got to create a free course meal so that's an entree a main a dessert and then a beverage of your choice from any franchise food takeaway uh, across you've had, uh, you've had whether it's in Australia or otherwise, as long as you've actually had it, and you can mix and match as you want, and you've got to create your fantasy menu, your best takeaway menu. If it was your last meal or your go-to five-star takeaway uh, uh, menu, how would you construct it, mate? And this one's going to be interesting because there's a lot of uh, fast food chains. There's a lot of different menus and cuisines out there. How would you go about constructing your uh, best takeaway free course meal. Mate, while there's other podcasts out there, they maybe have a segment about fantasy football. We're getting into We're, we're dealing with the hard-hitting topics here on the tip sheet, mate. This is the, the stuff that the people want to hear. Oh, I'd be surprised if there's every listener out there, um, look, they must have an opinion on this. Now, I'm not going to be in the realms of the obscure with this, uh, some fairly well-known franchises that I'm going to hit with mine. So do you want me to run through all, my entire menu? Or I think, are we we'll, I go think we'll, go, we'll go blow for blow, yeah. So we'll start with our entrees uh, and see where we go from there. Okay, mate. Well, mine's pretty standard. I'm just going to go for the chicken McNuggets with sweet and sour sauce. It, it is a timeless classic, arguably the best exponent of the nugget or the takeaway nugget uh, across all the major chains. Uh, I do think McDonald's have the uh, supremacy in that regard, but I will argue that you've taken the inferior option when it comes to the McDonald's uh, chicken range. I know that they are sometimes a, a semi-limited menu option, but I think that Chicken McPieces would make the, uh, the better entree option. I think they've got a better coating and they uh, taste a little bit nicer. But I'm gonna, that was one of my two considerations for my entrees. But I'm leaning more towards the kernel, and I, I am a sucker. If they're done well, and this is my little caveat for my menu, is that you're getting the – and the rule, the rule extends to you as well. You're getting the best possible version of them, i.e. freshly out of the you know the deep fryer or right off the grill. Um, I am a big sucker for Wicked Wings, and a well-done Wicked Wing just hits the spot as an entree for me. Yeah, no, that's a fair call. That is a fair call. And there's probably a few things out there that we'd – we'd all forget on the spot. And and let's be honest, we're going to be honest with our audience here, that as we were going through what's the news this week and we were like, oh, there's no news this week. And we'd been discussing these off football topics for a while and we've just gone, okay, let's go for it today. We're going to hit the <laughs> Completely hit off the, the cuff, menu. here we go. <laughs> yeah, so we did all of about five minutes, allowed each other about five minutes research to have a bit of a think and a, a look through. So um, there is probably going to be people who are going to come up with uh, terrific options maybe, uh, but they ha you have to remember, if you're coming up with your options, 
it has to be from a chain. That's right. It's got, got to be a fast food franchise. So obviously we all know whether it's a great kebab shop or a great bakery or something like that. There's all sorts of great locals and that could be a topic for another day. What's you know the best late night haunt that isn't a, a, a fast food chain? But for today, the rules are free course meal plus a beverage from a fast food franchise. And okay, you can, you can so now we're up to the mains. Yeah, up okay. to the mains. This, yep. this is yep. where you got to earn your bread and butter, I suppose. This is the, you know, the icon, the centerpiece of the menu. Okay, so I'm hitting Subway for this because in this instance, I can add what I want onto the sub. That's that's true. I'm, you can mix. You can literally custom build the sub as you'd like. Yeah, but I'm going to go for the pizza sub. It's going to be on Italian herb and cheese bread, toasted, and it's going to have added. Lettuce, spinach, tomato, capsicum, carrot, onions, avocado. It's only going to have pepper. It's not going to have salt. I don't like the salt on it. And I'm going to go with the ranch dressing. Ooh. I, I actually considered Subway too. I had two options in my main slot. And the one was like the, the slightly healthier option in Subway and one was the uh, naughtier option my, I'll go with the other option just for the, the sake of keeping it different, but my Subway choice would be on Italian herb and cheese like you, by far the best bun uh, for the sub. But I like the steak and cheese with bacon. I, I go uh, steak and cheese, old English cheese, obviously the bacon there. Um, I go with, I, I like to keep it simple on the veggie front. I like lettuce, Spanish onion, olives. I don't mind a little bit of uh, pickles or peppers, depending on what they got there. Um I usually would have tomato on a sandwich, but not for this one. I like to keep the focus on the meat. Salt and pepper for me, and then Southwest sauce, and then toasted, obviously. So that, that's how I would go if I was going for the Subway option for my main. But I'm going to go to Mickey D's, two Maccas for my main. And uh, again, it's a it's a bit of a restricted menu option, I suppose. But the McSpicy burger, I get the I would like to go that uh, with the added cheese and bacon to give it a bit more flavor. But my wild card here is I would not go for the McDonald's fries on the side, but I'd go for the Colonel's chips. I mean, KFC chips with their nice little seasoning are probably the, the best when it comes to uh, the chip or fry option for the main. We might have to have, take a vote from the listeners as well as to whether you can mix and match your main here, mate. I mean, you're really pushing the bounds That's here right. of what might be allowed. I, I don't mind dabbling in the uh, the grey areas of the, the law and whatnot. And so, you know, like uh, Craig Bellamy, got to push the envelope every now and then. Mate, I forgot to add the cheese for my uh, Subway. I'd, I'd go the old English as well. Yeah. Okay. Now, the dessert. This time, I'm heading to the old Krispy Kreme, and I'm going to go the vanilla slice donut. If you if you're going to hit a donut, hit something that's not just got the icing, but it's got the filling in it as well. So we're we're going to hit the Krispy Kreme for me. This this was the hardest thing for me to deliberate on because I'm, I'm such a, a basic Andy when it comes to my desserts. You know, if I ever ever stop by Mac, I just get an Oreo McFlurry with maybe a flake in it. But after racking my brain for something that I really really enjoy that could be considered dessert, I'm going to Gloria Jeans and I'm going to get an iced Tim Tam, which is their take on the iced chocolate, but with um, obviously the crushed up Tim Tams. Okay, interesting call there. Interesting. Um, look, I'm—I mean, I'm normally a sucker for soft serve, so often just the Sunday would would suffice. Although it's been a while since I've had 
anything like that from uh, McDonald's or that, or Hungry Jacks. But I, a... I'm going to go the Krispy Kreme because it's funny it's, you say soft serve because we, we were talking Wendy's off air and. You were mentioning the American Wendy's, but that makes me think of Aussie Wendy's and uh, the old soft surf cone dipped into chocolate with the hazelnut uh, uh, bits around it too, which is also a good contender for a uh, primo dessert option. Yeah, the, or, or the old Mr. Whippy with that Mr. as well. Mr. Whippy, yeah. <laughs> right. um, and tying yeah, it all together, well, what are you, you sipping on the side, mate? Well, this is interesting because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go slightly out of Australia with this and I'm going to go to the the Wendy's franchise and the the Wendy's of course is a a huge uh franchise around the world the uh, burger Wendy's Mm -hmm. and they have them in New Zealand and when I have gone to New Zealand I have been a sucker for their chalk frosty so it's like it's a thick shake um, it's arguable whether it's a thick shake or a dessert, but I'm going to say it's a thick shake. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, are you talking about me blurring the lines with the KFC chips, mate? Come on. No, well, they, I'll, give, I'll, you, I'll they give you a straw. I'll let it they, ride. They give I'll you let a straw. Ride. So it does have a scoop at the end. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll admit that. But it's but it's it's meant to be um, consumed through a straw, and, and because it takes so long, that's – part of the delight isn't it that it's it it's something that you have to savor so mm-hmm. uh, so there we go that's um get, that's mine got, what about yours mate how you wrapping it up oh look uh, i talked about being a basic andy when it comes to dessert uh, initially and then finding something different but uh, i'm going to say something that might be controversial for some people listening first uh, i'm going to establish my platform here that coke is an objectively superior cola to pepsi uh, and from there, I'm going to say that if I'm going to have all these fancy different fast food options, I suppose tying it all together, the old Macca's syrupy Coke, it's not the most glamorous option, but when you think of a, a fast food sort of a meal, it's what first comes to mind. I think that'll be what I'll be sipping on for the, the perfect free course fast food uh, menu. Mate, I was, I was expecting you to um, mix and match the um the the drinks but that's not is that possible at mcdonald's i don't think it is it's only hungry jacks that you can go and um and and create your Mac- own Maccas, i think will let you do the uh frosties they're there well not that's in the wendy's frosty but the frozen coke you can mix and match a few flavors there but yeah i don't think any of the aussie chains anymore that you have like you know a, a, what's it called unlimited refills or mix and match refills from the machine is that because of COVID? Is that did that change? No, I think, that, I think that's just been a thing for a while. Unless oh, I'm mistaken. There you go. There, that that'll actually that'll actually tell you how long it's been since I've gone into one of the fast uh, food franchises and and bought something to eat in. And uh, being the big con merchants that we are, sixties, we've managed to rope Spiro into giving us his fantasy fast food menu too. So take it away, Spiro. Give us your uh, uh, ultimate entree, main dessert, and beverage. It's a very difficult one, guys, because I'm a big food man, but I really appreciate you guys asking me to be a part of this and and putting my fantasy fast food menu up for viewership and listenership, I guess. Starting off with um, a KFC delight, something which I like a lot is the 24 Nuggets for $10, one of the all-time great specials with the large chips. Started off with that. Then for main, crust pizza. We'll go a large cheese pizza. I like to just... Keep it original at times. So I we'll can, go a large cheese pizza. pizza with garlic bread. Mm-hmm. And um, for dessert, 
dozen of Krispy Kreme donuts, but they have to be at a store that have just come out. They're hot. They have to be, you know, hot off the press. Yep. So we'll go a dozen of Krispy Kreme donuts. And for a beverage, I'm not a big drinks man, but to go with the Krispy Kreme donuts, a two-liter bottle of cold milk because that goes well with the donuts. So yeah. let's let's lock that in, guys. I don't know what you think of that, but that's that would be I, my fantasy. I like the crust move there. I'm a big pizza fan, and I think just going something simple there in the middle is a nice little contrast. I like it. Mm. I think I, it just clears I, the palate a bit. Mate, I, I I reckon that what you've assembled there could feature on one of those programs like Man versus Food, just for the <laughs> just for the sheer amount of food that's there. <laughs> it's that's that's going to be some sort of task. So we're going to. Well, how, how long would you give yourself to get through it, mate? Oh, I don't know. I'd probably have to give myself maybe close to a bit over an hour. I don't know. It's a bit of a wild guess. But I reckon I could do it in an hour or an hour and 20, potentially. But that's cutting it fine. I'm also having visions of that Seinfeld episode where Newman rocks up with all the milk (laughs) and the glass to eat the muffin muffin (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Well, you know what, guys? I'm going to say it right here, right now, on the record. If Parramatta win the premiership in 2022, I'm going to do that challenge with you guys at the end of the season. There we go. Lock it in. I actually like that. We'll we'll throw we'll throw that in with the um we'll make it a day of it we'll all go off get the eels tattoo and then tear into it tear into the nuggets nuggets chips cheese pizza and garlic bread and then the Krispy Kremes with milk so there you go lock it in <laughs> I reckon I reckon it'll take three of us to get through that that menu just then, Spiro, to be honest. <laughs> oh, you know what? It might not be a bad option. Take it easy and we can enjoy ourselves. <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks for the fantasy yeah. class with Spiro. Yeah, You're a good addition, mate. <laughs> Very nice, guys. Thank you. And before we let you go, Spiro, you've actually got a, a fantastic little tie-in to our little fantasy fast food menu game this week uh, with our captain, Quinton Gufferson. guys. Pre-season when I spoke to a few of the club captains at the NRL season launch, I got the chance to sit down with Clint Gutherson and I asked him what his favourite post-game feed is. I know that it's not a fast food fantasy menu, but it's as close as we're going to get. So here's what Gutherson had to say to that one. What's your favourite post-game feed? What do you what do you like after a game? What's your go-to? I'm not a massive eater after the game. I don't know what it is. It's probably all the adrenaline and stuff like that. But if it's an early game, I always get to KFC. But it shuts at 11, so that's the other, uh, 10 o'clock even, sorry. So when we play those later games, you don't really get time to go in there. Anything greasy with chips is the go-to, and you sort of get, let that roll into that next day to recovery because you lose a lot of weight and mm. haven't eaten as much as you, you probably should have. So you try and eat as much as you can over those next 48 hours. So there you go. It looks like uh, King Guffo might be dabbling in the kernels when he's going about assembling his fantasy fast food menu. Well, mate... Uh... I'm I'm going to be interested in seeing what delights people come up with. Um, imagine imagine at the football if you were able to have a three course fast food meal delivered. That might to be the, the ideal stadium menu. Might be a conversation for another day because I know Bank West or Combank, sorry, um, has some reasonable options there too. So we can probably talk about that down the track. What's your uh, ideal menu at the footy? Hey, that could be uh, – uh, it'll be interesting to see the people who enjoy the old school uh, feeds that you can get at the footy, even, the, the you know, just as simple as the, the pie or the sausage roll through to the uh, more adventurous hot foods and wraps. So, um, 
mate, uh, yeah, not a bad start, I don't think. The, we'll, we'll see what people have to come up with. Yes, sir. And I'm looking forward to those comments and uh, anyone that joins in on social media too. But for now, mate, let's move on and talk some footy. Uh, like we said earlier, we've got three games of rugby league to, <clears throat> sorry, to cover this week. Got a frog in my throat there. Kicking off, uh, it's a double header. Well, technically it kicks off uh, chronologically in Darwin, but we're going to start with the Jersey flag on Sunday. Who have a double header at Kellyville with the uh, New South Wales Cup, which is always cool to have that uh, of those fixtures at the Eels' home ground there or the home training facilities. And uh, the Eels are coming off a last start lost in Newcastle Knights, twenty-seven to twenty. We spoke about this one uh, just prior on the review podcast. Uh, they're taking on the New uh, Newcastle, the Canberra Raiders this week. Uh, Raiders are struggling in this grade, mate. They're down, if I believe, second last. I believe, yeah. So they're seven games, two wins, uh, five losses. And they are coming off an absolute hiding at the hands of the Penrith Panthers. I think it was something to the tune of 64 to 16. So while they're obviously struggling, there is the element of the bounce back factor in play this week for the Green Machine. Uh, but for Simon Wolford, his boys look like this this week. Uh, full strength back line, pretty much. You've got Corey Fenning, captain of the team from fullback. You've got Josh Tulpolotu and Terrell Williams on the flanks. Charlie Geim is back, and he'll take his place in one of the center spots. And that means Jarrell Kalachi is the other center. In the halves, you've got Dontori Louie and Ethan Sanders. Uh, that forward pack's been rejigged this uh, this week, mate. Back, ugh, sorry, eating my words. Uh, after the uh, troops got caught up to New South Wales Cup again this week, uh, Wolford's going to be short on front rowers. That pushes Peter Tateo into the front row. Taylor Mawala comes off the bench to start as well at the bookend spot. David Tui is the dummy half. In the back row, it's Felix Natui Schmidt. Lockie Blackburn moves from the centres to the back row with Brock Parker at lock forward. On the bench, Nicholas Lenars, Nick Al-Raffor, Larry Margatutia, and Reese Alderton. And we haven't got an 18th man listed. But yeah, they're taking on the Raiders. And I'm just trying to see if there's any names I recognize there. And nothing's really jumping off the page. But yeah, this is uh, Parramatta Eels sitting in 7th place, looking to consolidate their spot inside the top 8. And it is a top 8 in the Jersey Fleet this year, uh, taking on the 11th place Raiders. Well, mate, uh, I like you. I like the look of the Eels' backline. And even though we're down in forward troops, there's some names that uh, are well-known to us and anyone else that followed uh, the junior reps with um, uh, Taylor Muala and Peter Tateo and Brock Parker uh, being... Uh, they were all uh, SG Ball last year mm-hmm. from Correct. recollection. So, Correct. um and I think Lachlan, Lachlan Blackburn's a, he's quite a talent as well in the in the back row. So look, I, I like the looks of this of the team. They've gone through a lot of disruptions over. Oh, I, I do not envy Coach Wolford. He's had to. Sh- we talked about that trickle down effect of all those injuries in NRL, and I think in a way the Jersey flag might have been the one that's had to compromise the most as they've bent over to accommodate the New South Wales Cup, who in turn is accommodating the NRL. Yeah. Now, uh, the the game, as we uh, should again clarify, is being held up at Kellyville on Sunday. Yeah, one fifteen pm kickoff, Kellyville Park. That's right. And uh, one of the things I suppose that I'm quite pleased about this year is that they're quite commonly playing out at Kellyville. Um, past years they literally didn't have what you would define as a home ground and would be playing anywhere from um, Cabramatta to Guildford to Ringrose 
yeah, it was just and, and occasionally at at, um, at Bank West or now Combank Stadium, it was just really really tough to be able to get around and 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 watch the Jersey flag play. And for those of us who enjoy seeing how the players are progressing through pathways, it's really disappointing because so often we had to make the choice of which grades miss out. And Mm -hmm. if you had NRL and um, New South Wales Cup playing at the same venue, well, and there were many a times where the Jersey flag would be played on the same day as New South Wales Cup and NRL, but they'd be at a completely different venue. And it was almost like they were the poor relation of within the clubs. And there's no, the club didn't have any control over that. It would be where they'd be scheduled. So it's good to see that there's matches being scheduled at Kellyville Park. It's still not an ideal ground to be playing at because spectator facilities don't really exist. You, you'll have... Um, you've obviously got the the dressing sheds for the players and they've got some toilet facilities up there for people. Um, I would suggest that, well, I wouldn't be surprised if um, the Kellyville juniors are up there and they have uh, barbecue and, and, and drinks being served up there as well. But again, it's, it's still not ideal. We're looking at the grandstand being started sometime uh, the middle of this year at Kellyville. Uh, can't come soon enough, especially with the matches being staged there. And it'll be a fantastic venue when it is finished to have a, a stand of, you know, a couple of thousand people up there and, um, you know, the, all the facilities for uh, staging football matches. Yes, sir. And we mentioned that it's part of a double header out at Kellyville Park, which means there is a second game. And in the prime time slot there on Sunday at 3pm kickoff, it's the New South Wales Cup. Like the Jersey Flag, Eels taking on the Canberra Raiders. And this is an all top eight affair. I believe it's 4v7 Parramatta Eels occupying that final spot in the top four. Canberra just inside the top eight. Uh, and Canberra haven't named the full team this week, so that's been interesting there. But for the Eels, there's a couple of changes this week, mate. Uh, in the back line, we've got captaining the team from fullback Jordan Rankin, uh, the tri- try-scoring superstar, sorry, is what I was trying to get out of my mouth, Matthew Komalafi. Uh, he retains his spot on that left edge. Joshua Minhinnick. If if the Eels have got problems on the left wing in the NRL, it's the right wing that's been a real problem for them in the uh, New South Wales Cup. Joshua Minhinnick is uh, looking to go back-to-back games on the right wing after getting the call last week. In the halves, sorry, in the centres before the halves, Zach Sini and Samuel Luizu. Halves, Brendan Hands and Jack A. Williams. In the front row, uh, one of the young and uh, um, upstart sort of uh, performers this year, flag eligible forward, Tavita Talmapenu. He gets a start. He's been quite good in the last few games. He'll partner with McGregor in the front row. Mitch Rain, thankfully, avoids what looked to be a non-contact injury late in the game last week, but he's here to play at dummy half. In the back row, it's Ellie Elsgaham and Dan Keir on the edges. Kai Rodwell, the lock forward. On the bench, Jaden Yates. Keaton Walkington-Meads finally back the big fella. He'll reinforce the front row. Then you've got a couple of middles from the flag in David Hollis and Ryan Jones. For the Canberra team, mate, they haven't named a fullback, but there is a bit of NRL experience in this team. Jared Croker, Sam Williams, Matt Frawley, Emre Gula. And the other player that caught my eye, uh, one-time outstanding Parramatta Reels prospect, Trey Mooney. Um, he's been right on the frit- or on the bubble of the NRL call-up for the Raiders, but hasn't quite got a look in. Be very keen to see how he goes this weekend. Yeah, and Albert Hopawati. Yeah, Hopawati uh, too. Who, and, and Zach Wolford. Yes, so Wolford having a little bit of NRL experience, and Hopawati had a bit of hype to him, but he sort of bounced between Manly to the Warriors to the Raiders, I think, and um, hasn't quite kicked on perhaps as, as initially fought, but he's playing on the wing for him. So, yeah, this will be a chance for the Eels to 
keep a pace with the uh, competition-leading Panthers with a win, but it's not obviously going to be a, a walk in the park here because the Raiders been a top-eight team. They're going to put it to the Eels. Yeah, and um, it's as you said, it's interesting when you when you have a, a club that can't quite name all the all the um, the team, and obviously you've got players that are under an injury cloud. How you mentioned they're coming in seventh place, so they're they're obviously going to be competitive with the Eels, and what we noticed last week about Parramatta is that mentality about whoever steps up, whoever is called in will step up and just get the job done. And there's probably no greater example of that than Matt Komalafi, mm-hmm. who within, what, four matches is now the leading point scorer in equal, the New South Wales. No, uh, leading try scorer yeah, in, the, he's gone. in New South Wales. He, he, he disappointed me massively, mate. He had one job to do against... Newcastle it was just score four easy tries. All he could manage was a measly hat trick. And then he, he went game one, one try, game two, two tries, game three, three tries, game four, three tries. Just, you know, I don't know if it's up to standard, mate. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if he holds his spot for the rest of the season, just sort of what sort of try tally he ends up with. But one thing that we noted from him during the junior rep days is he was a player who could just seem to find the line when given a half chance. And he's obviously still carrying that on there. There was obviously there was a couple of tries that were, um, you know, catch and, and put down, but the, he also has that knack of being placed into a small corridor and finding his way through defenders to score. So uh, he's going really, really well. Um, I'm, I tipped at the start of the preseason that, Eliel Zakim may well be the next NRL play, next player to debut in the NRL out of the, those that haven't debuted, and I'm still sticking with that. Obviously, there's nothing that can happen before uh, round ten, and I think it's after round ten that uh, development players and second tier players become available, unless there's special dispensation granted in the case of injuries. But uh, I'm happy, really happy with his progress as well. And um, Zach Sini continues to find his feet in this grade for Parramatta. Uh, whether he's someone that be able eventually call on after that uh, round ten date uh, remains to be seen. Dan Keir was missing last week. He's been a bit of a surprise packet. Yeah, but, I mean, this uh, is actually a bit of a revenge game for him too. Along with Keaton walking to Meads, I think they're both ex Canberra boys, and they're yeah. both been quite good for us. Although Keaton's uh, been uh, been out for a bit, and like I mentioned, Dan out for the last game or two. So good to have them both back into the fold. They've both been very sold acquisitions for Ryan Carr. Um, Kai Rodwell, he, just ultra consistent, tough as nails. One hundred and fifty meters, forty nine tackles, zero missed, zero ineffective last week. He had an outstanding game in the middle. And I'll tell you the other the other person to catch my eye was Ryan Jones. Yeah, another flag eligible forward. I mean, I shouted out to Vita Talmapena before, and he's been very good. But Jones coming off the bench uh, as a middle forward, he's been quite good too. You're right. And uh, we still have uh, Dave Hollis, who's maintained his elevated spot in the team after both he and uh, Jack Colavati were called up last week. Notice Jack hasn't been named in any grade. Don't know too much about whether he's picked up an injury. 
I, I would assume that would be the case. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we don't have access to injury reports for both Cup and Flegg, so we're sort of left unless we're at the grounds and quite like, obviously see the injury. And given that uh, we, we weren't at Newcastle, we couldn't see everything that was in play off the TV coverage. Yeah, we were sort of left to try and piece together what's available. He might have been suspended. Oh, I'm not sure. I can't remember if there was anything that was cited in that game. But, uh, yeah, it looks like I would say he's probably banged up. Yeah, so he's um, – you, well, we've got uh, Dave Hollis, who's uh, who does train with the NRL squad because he's, uh, he's a, a top 30 uh, player. So that's probably – causes the minimal disruption that he's able to be part of the reserve grade team because he's able to, he's able to train with them through the week so mm-hmm. um, that's a that's a good result there yeah and so a chance for the eels to keep abreast of the leading comp, uh, competition leading Panthers sorry and you know what we've seen this year mate if they play anything like they have for the vast majority of these games they should get the business done because that's been their mo this year is just getting the job done playing good consistent football, building into games. Like we saw against the St. George Illawarra Dragons a few weeks back, they conceded the first try, but from there they just got to work. They built themselves into yeah. the game and took it completely away from their opponents. It was exactly the same with Newcastle, even though they were heavily down on troops. Like you look at the team that they're putting out there, what Ryan Carr has available compared to what they had available in round one, and it's chalk and cheese. But even so, like you said, the next man up is doing his job. And speaking of next man up, I think we're probably not too far away from... Tony Mattaelli making his return. Uh, he, he's probably uh, two to three weeks away from coming back from a, uh, a preseason injury that he picked up. So, And that's one uh, that I know we have spoken about Tony, but it's really flown under the radar uh, in terms of the team list because you don't even consider he's not available. Tony had a pretty reasonable preseason uh, being an, a Parramatta Eels recruit or prospect that went to Newcastle then came back after a year or so. And, yeah, that, that'll be a big boost to the forward pack for the Eels. Yeah, he's he was training particularly well before he got injured, and he's he's quite a, um, uh, a physical presence out there on the field, and it'll be interesting to see how long it takes him to find his groove in, in terms of playing. Um, so he's still got a little bit of rehab to, to finish off, but... Um, I believe it's going to be somewhere between three, four weeks, and he's he, he should be back on the field. And so the other, um, the other young prospect who also ruled himself out for a while in the preseason, I'm not expecting him back on the same timeline as uh, Tony, but Jonte Jr. Beffen Mees is the big hyphen. He broke his leg, and he's still uh, a ways out, isn't he, mate? Yeah, yeah. So I, I haven't got any updates on, on when he's expected back, but it was um, – yeah, when when that injury occurred, it was. Um, I must say, it, it's one minute he was running along, next minute I saw him uh, down on the ground, and um, you know that it's always something serious when it's it's those sort of circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we we wish both of them well, and uh, be good to see him back on the field sooner rather than later. One hundred percent, mate. Uh, before we dive into the NRL, we'll take a quick look at the injury report. And I think it was uh, one of those rare double wins for the Eels on the weekend, mate. They got a, a great you know, two-point competition victory against the Newcastle Knights and didn't add anyone to the injury report, which feels like it has been incredibly rare in 2022. Uh, but mate, I'm not even, even going to add a comment because 
I don't want to jinx it. Yeah, it, it does feel like that. Um, but for whatever whatever it may be, Hayes Perrin might be the curse breaker on that left wing spot. I'm actually touching wood right now, Hayes, so I'm not putting the mockers on you, but you've been very good, and hopefully you can continue to stay healthy so you can lock up that spot for a few more weeks. But uh, speaking of the left wing spot, uh, you know, Sean Russell, once again, rounds 9 to 10. Big Solomon in Iduki. Uh, he's got a hammy he's trying to overcome rounds eight to nine is his timeline. And then it's a whole lot of TBAs or end of season stuff. So Maradini Akore, that hamstring he did uh, in his comeback game against the Tigers, we do not have a t- uh, an actual announcement that, that is to be announced. Mike Aceva recovering from his ACL injury, that is still TBA. And Wanga Blake, who had that MCL injury, which we're presuming would be a grade three, which puts him in the four to eight week, four to eight week window, sorry. Uh, is also TBA, and obviously we're not getting anything out of Hayes Dunst or Ray Stone for the remainder of his season. That's the injury report, and I'm just happy that there's no new names on it, mate. Again, I'm, I'm saying no. No comment, exactly. No comment. No comment. It brings us to the main event, which is, like I said, chronologically the first game on the weekend for the Eels. They're going up to the top end for their annual clash in Darwin, and they're taking on the Cowboys this year. Cowboys, of course, being the only team in the history of their uh, tenure in the Northern Territory to ever beat the Eels. Otherwise, Parramatta are undefeated, I think, from seven trips, going back to 2014, I want to say. And they've taken on a few different clubs. And, uh, yeah, the Cowboys are the only ones that ever beat them. And that was when JT made that big comeback ahead of Origin. Oh, <clears throat> I was going to say, I'm sure that that um, coincided with JT's time at the club. Yeah, so um, that was had it, He'd been out for a while. Had the Peruvial still good for Origin, came in and kicked our asses. So that was a that was a tough one. But otherwise, Eels have been pretty formidable up in the Northern Territory at I think it's Marawa Stadium now. Um, but they're taking on probably the. I mean, I know people are giving the Cronulla Sharks plenty of plaudits, mate. But I'd say the Cowboys are the real upstart surprise team of this year so far. Mate, I I believe I had them tipped for the spoon. I did, I did too. I looked at that roster, didn't see much in the way of recruitment. Talked about you know the the dramas behind the scenes between Tal Malolo and the coach uh, Todd Payton. There we go. I remembered, and it just looked like they were just you know either treading water at best or getting pulled under. And to to, to Todd's credit, he's done a fantastic job. We've got great value out of some young forwards, um, and we'll talk about them shortly when it comes to the team list. But yeah, they have been like I said. I know Cronulla deserves their plaudits for being in you know in the top four, but. They had a good roster. They just needed to have the right man at the helm. It looks like Fitzgibbon is that guy. The, the Cowboys had gone so far backwards in 2021, and now all of a sudden they've figured out who they are, and that's a, a big part of the rugby league uh, formula, I suppose. Yeah, well, I, I still look at it and I go that their strength is very much in their forwards mm-hmm. um, because I, I look at the back line, and again, I, I, with respect, um, Tom Deard and Chad Townsend, Scott Drinkwater, as the the spine um, backs. I look at that, and it it doesn't fill me with dread. Yeah, and I, and again, I say that with respect because they are all NRL first grade players. But if I'm worried about the Cowboys, I'm picking their forwards as where to be looking out for so well let's uh um, let's go for about team first so we can give the uh, readers a, an idea of what we're talking about here you mentioned the spine will start with scott drinkwater the mercurial fullback he's a real handful in attack but can be exploited defensively he'll be in the fullback jersey for north queensland on the wings the old war horse kyle felt and young murray talungi 
in the centres, the Million Dollar Man, Valentine Holmes, and the uh, consistent Peter Hicku. You mentioned the halves, it's Tom Dearden and Chad Townsend in the six and seven, respectively. In the forward pack, Jordan McLean, Reese Robson, and Cohen Hess, one time edge back row and now prop forward, are the front rowers and hooker in the back row. And this is probably where a lot of the, the hype has been, and understandably so. Heel and Lukey has been very good on one edge, the left, and Jeremiah Nanai can sniff out a try. The 19 year old wonder kid, I think he is. He'll be on the right edge. Jason Tamaloa, the other million-dollar man, is a lock forward. On the bench, it's Jake, Gar- Jake Granville. Uh, Tom Gilbert, who just signed with the Dolphins. Ruben Cotter and Griffin Neem. Extended roster is Jermaine Tanoa-Brown. Hamizo Tabuai Fido, who you have to think is only outside the team pending fitness. Uh, Connolly Lemelu, uh, Ben Condon, Emery Perret, Brendan Elliott, and Ben Hampton. So, yeah, like you said, I do like the look of that forward. Well, I don't like the look of that forward pack this week. Uh, in a neutral round, I do like the look of that forward pack. They've done a very good job. Those are young back rowers been outstanding. Nanai's getting all the headlines, but Lukey has been very good too. And yeah, they've got a bit of depth in the back row because I look at that extended roster and Ben Condon's no chump change either. So they've got some options there. Yeah, it's it would seem to be that maybe they are a class back or two away from being a genuine premiership threat. And as I said, at the start of the year, I looked at that and there was, and there was probably some of those younger players that uh, I wasn't rating because, well, they, they just weren't on the radar for me. Mm-hmm. And I looked and I thought, well, there's not too much roster change. They're, they went yeah, pretty ordinary uh, last year. Following there's conventional logic, it, just, it looked like they were stagnant at best. And but it yeah, turned, it turns always out- hype, there's always hype around, you know, the Cowboys are going to come good this year. And I was over that hype because mm-hmm. I'd fallen for it a couple of times. And, you know, I thought, well, let's be honest, I don't, I don't see too much that concerns me, but um, those back rowers in particular are, are, are going really, really well. And oh, has he found a secret to t- Jason Talmalala? Oh, <clears throat> I fear that that his best is still um, yet to be unlocked. Well, hopefully it's not this week. But uh, you're talking about best to be unlocked. Uh, Tom Dearden went from a, sort of like the afterthought also ran ex-Bronco, and he's sort of been unlocked a bit this year, playing some very good football, got a stack of try assists. And I think only um, Dylan, if I just quickly pull up the NRL stats here, uh, one second, in terms of the try assists, where are we at? Passing. So we got Mitchell Moses. Uh, so he's fallen off a little bit, I think, but he was leading the competition in try assists early on. So, yeah, he's got six try assists, which puts him in a lock for one, two, three, four. So it's equal fourth on absolute, but it's a little bit behind in terms of uh, the old mathematics thing. But he's, he's essentially his top uh, nine in the NRL for try assists. So he's having a pretty good season. Yeah, and and I think this is – do you think maybe that the Cowboys are having a semi-successful early run because teams are under, have underestimated them? That, that is probably a factor too. We've seen it in the past. There's you know, usually a plucky upstart team that – you know obviously every team takes prep seriously for their opposition, but as weird – you know, it's one of those things in a row you, you prep harder for – the Melbourne Storm, the Sydney Roosters, you know, if you're playing the Parramatta Eels too, obviously, obviously the Penrith Panthers. So maybe there have been some opponents who have taken 
North Queensland a little bit too lightly. That is definitely a possibility. Now, and you also think back to round one, and they did blow that game against the Bulldogs oh, in God. round one. It yeah, had gifted the Bulldogs their only win of the season thus far. I feel and like every team has like one or two of those games. I'll look back, obviously, Parramatta on Easter Monday. They're going to be real upset about that one as the season wears on. But for the Cowboys, yeah, they're going to be very, very annoyed they didn't get that one secured. Yeah. Now, uh, no changes to the Parramatta team. Mate. Yeah. So, Eels name an unchanged outfit, courtesy of those no injuries that we talked about already and the fact they had such a comprehensive victory, arguably their most comprehensive victory of the season to date against Newcastle Knights, which means they look like this. Captain of the team for fullback is always Quinton Gufferson. Hayes Perham doing a really, really solid job on the wing against the Knights on the left wing spot. Bowie Simonson will be on the opposite sideline on the right wing. Will Penasini and Dylan Brown are the centres. Will on the right, Dylan on the left, obviously. That means Jake Arthur and Mitchell Moses will be in the halves. In the front row, Reagan Camagillard. I mean, if you hadn't been told he was hurt, he didn't look like it against Newcastle. Very good. He'll back up this week against the Cowboys partnering Junior Polo, or Barlow, sorry, with Reed Marnie at dummy half. You've got Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali'i and Nathan Brown in the back row. On the bench, Makahesi Makatoa, Ryan Madison, Oregon Kafusi and Bryce Cartwright. Extended roster, Wiramu Greg, Mitch Rain, Tom Opacic, Kyle Rodwell, Solomon Naiduki, Ellie Elsgaham, and Luca Moretti. And I tell you what, man, I'm reading that extended roster, and I reckon maybe only half of them would actually be able to play this game. Oh, I think that's a fair call. Yeah, because Luca Moretti, named in this list, not named in Cup. So unless Brad Arthur's pulling a surprise uh, debut in the forward pack that hasn't got injuries... um, I'd say Luke is banged up and is just one of the only players I could name. Ditto for Tom Opacic, who had that uh, neck stinger against uh, the Tigers at the Luciano Le Lua Fend. Um, not named in Cup, named in extended roster year. I'd be very surprised if he is a late swap into the back line. Obviously, that would be ideal. You know, Tom, such a reliable presence at the centre role, and that lets Dill go back into 5-8 and Jake compete with Bryce Cartwright for the utility spot on the bench. But yeah, I wouldn't be expecting him to be in the mix and Solomon Naiduki is actually on the injury report. So yeah. <laughs> it's a. I think I think Brad mentioned in his captain's uh, captain's run call last week ahead of the game against Newcastle. They only had 19 fit players in their team list Tuesday, and I, that was before that game. So I don't think much has changed this week. No, it was it was interesting watching the opposed session today and the um, uh, the fact that they had some players there that are. Um, were able to get there to fill in for that were second tier players um, to make it a full opposed session. Um, a few few of the first graders having a bit of a run as well with the um, with the Reggies when they when they were um, uh, lining up face to face. So uh, yeah, <clears throat> as you said, it's tough times with the injury report the, the casualty ward as it is now so um and and people that have been critical and saying this person should be selected and that person should be selected well you've you do have a couple of factors at play not just the injuries but you also have at play the fact that there are players there who are second tier players and the club would have to go about getting uh dispensation to play those players and, and some of them that are would be looked to be uh being brought in uh, say, for example, if you wanted to name Zach Sini, Zach's been a late inclusion um, at the club, uh, joining the club after the season started. No part of pre-season there. Uh, wouldn't be 
too familiar with the players or um, and is really just learning the calls and, and the combinations that are out there. So uh, what do we do? We've got um, uh, Dylan Brown, who did train a little bit at centre before the first round uh, in case the it was going to be needed, that they, they needed to make a, a mid-game switch of players. So he's familiar with that that spot out there. Jake Arthur, obviously, uh, extremely familiar with the plays. And given that they, um, during the preseason, it's a real mix and match with the players. Everyone gets an opportunity to be um, involved with first-grade players as part of the opposed sessions during the preseason. So um, when we were talking about the Bulldogs and it was mentioned that Kyle Flanagan hadn't trained at all with the NRL team. And I'm thinking, what, you mean he didn't do the preseason as, as a as a full-time player? Yeah, that, that was, that was a real that. bizarre moment, wasn't it, when they were talking about that? Did he do the fitness part of the preseason but not the actual team running? I, I don't I, know. I think, I think there's an exaggeration that's happened there. He would have been a part of the opposed sessions during the preseason and would have been training alongside in the fitness alongside players in their skills work, uh, would have been facing players in opposed work. So I think it was maybe a stretch to say that he hadn't been involved in uh, in I think, training. I think team. on both sides of the Kyle Flanagan battle that's going on in the media, there's been a bit of propaganda, hasn't there? Uh, you know, he's he's been in the middle of a, a bizarre tug of war when it comes to is he good enough to play first grade for the Bulldogs and how is he being treated? And I think there, you know, given that his old man is a you know premiership winning coach and is entrenched in the media, there might be, you know, the, the just like you know the way it's portrayed probably wouldn't be as clean clean as it was someone some other place. An embellishment, yeah, an ex- embellishment. exactly. It's just like, yeah, and like yeah. That, that's not that's not me trying to attack Carl Flanagan or anything like that. It's just I don't think. Uh, if it was, you know, another young half that was stuck in Reggie's, it would be getting as much traction the way it is. Uh, but, you know, that's how it is. And it's not Parramatta's problem, thankfully. But it did it did lead to a very bizarre conversation, that whole he didn't train with him during the preseason. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah so so basically uh, my comment on that uh, as, as I was leading into that was that uh, Jake Arthur was very familiar, obviously, with all the calls, very familiar with playing alongside the players. It was an easy call up and um, and uh, squad naming last week, as far as I was concerned. And I, uh, I, I certainly would entertain the idea that you could still potentially look at a different option in the back line, whether it was Sini uh, or maybe even Louisu. Or but then you real, it's getting low uh, on, on the options there. That is literally what was left in the uh, you know in the sort of kitty there in the center spot. Uh, but it is clear that. Arthur and Kidwell and uh, uh, Murph. Murph, sorry, sorry, Murph had a very clear game plan to keep Dylan involved against Newcastle, and I imagine it's going to be the same against the Cowboys. Yeah, so they the last thing they want to do is to negate Dylan's running game, and we saw there that they had they had ways of making that happen during the the match where he was sort of alternating around where Sean Lane was positioned when the Eels were in attack. So, um, and, and look, it was, it was proven out there with uh, Dylan's involvement in the game and his running meters, the try that he scored. It was, it was almost like seeing um, Dylan playing as an extra five, eight 
at times. So, um, again, we still have to come back to where is the eel's strength? Now, the eel's strength is the dominant forward pack. Mm -hmm. So makes it interesting this week because, as I said, I see the, the strength in the Cowboys as their pack and their power game. So um, I'd like to see the Eels go for a similar sort of game to what they played against Newcastle, keeping it tight, looking to win the middle. Um, I was talking about this at training today. There was a lot of criticism last year about Para playing that power game and whether that was any good for the long run in the season. And I just keep coming back to it. What is the problem with playing to your strengths? Mm. I mean, if that, that if uh, got, uh, uh, iteration of that say, plan. If the option is playing the way they played against the Tigers, where they have to go and shift, shift, <laughs> shift, shift, or the way they played against Newcastle of just completely dominating up through that middle corridor. I know which I'm going to take, well, and which, I have no problem with them rolling out each week. Which which style of game plan was the only real? Big time threat to the actual eventual premiers last year, like it was literally a couple of contentious calls away from knocking them out of sudden death football. The, yeah. the Eels, we speak about this all the time. You need an identity as a team, whether it is being fast and expansive like the West Tigers in the mid two thousands, or if it's going to be, you know, smash mouth powerhouse football like the Eels. And the Eels can mix the the svelte moments of class with the power, but that forward pack is really the engine that drives this team. Yeah, and as you mentioned, um, really we're at the point of um, taking the Panthers' mantle in the in that part of the draw in the finals last year. And let's not lose track of the fact that the Eels have won their last three encounters with the Storm exactly. by playing exactly. that type of football. So the Storm don't like playing that type of football against the Eels. Penrith don't like playing that type Penrith of football against the Eels. Penrith don't like playing it. Where they, where the Eels have struggled has been where our defensive systems haven't worked against the likes of the Sea Eagles and uh, the Rabbitohs with the, the shifts that they like to mm-hmm. put on and uh, the way they would attack uh, Parramatta's left edge. Uh, sorry, right edge. Correct. And um, but if you looked at that game against Newcastle, the Eels' defence really worked as a unit. They they were how can I? It, it was it was fluid. There there was a fluidity about the the way that the defence was able to move, sort of a bit of slide, a bit of up. Uh, into the faces of the of the uh, ball carriers uh, of the um, yeah of the ball carriers, but yeah, I, I I didn't get the sense that we were going to be under threat out wide in any in any respect. Now, whether we've got the right players in the right positions now um, that now the combinations are getting used to each other as well this part of the season because there were concerns early on with uh, Bailey Simonson was he coming in at the wrong time. Were we just going to be seeing the exact same thing that we were seeing in 2020 and 2021 in terms of the um, uh, too much easy space found outside where we just didn't seem to number up or the winger was charging in? 
I saw enough encouraging signs against the Knights to think we've made some adjustments. And whether that's via systems or whether it's it's working better with the personnel that are there remains to be seen. Yeah, obviously very encouraging signs against Newcastle. We spoke about it in the review podcast, the Instant Reaction podcast. Back to basics, fundamental football, and they got it right defensively. Initial first contact was much stronger. Like you said, they hunted as a pack in defense and really you know, suppressed Newcastle's ability to attack. That's got to be the foundation for a big defensive surge into the midway through or midpoint of the season, uh, especially given that you're taking on the Cowboys and they put on some points and then the reigning premiers the week after. So it's going to be a real big test for the Eels on two fronts there. But first, it starts with the Cowboys, mate. How are we going to see this one playing out? Obviously, we do our first try score in margin, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to cap off our discussion with before we go to the top end. Well, if we play it the way that we should, I'm picturing, uh, well, I, I'm predicting, sorry, a 10-point win to the Eels, and I'm going with a, a scoreline of 26-16. Mm-hmm. I think that it will be tight for a large part of the game, and I think we start to get away from the Cowboys in the back half of the second half. Um, I, I think it might be a, like a two-point, four-point margin at half halftime. Uh, my first try scorer, I have not had anywhere near. <laughs> it's, it's been tough this, this year. <laughs> oh, it, it's been ultra tough. The, I, the million different backline permutations have really made calculations difficult. Yeah, I'm going to go Hayes Perham. This week he didn't have one against Newcastle. I think was it second try against Newcastle. So maybe yeah, Sean Lane was the first. That's right. So maybe he can get bumped up the queue this week. Yeah, um, and uh, as for the uh, best on field this week, you know, I think I think I'm going to go with Reg. He's just been in ultra consistent form. I think it's going to be a forward battle. So I'm going to. Pick him to get the points if you, over the if you Cowboys. Picked the Sean Lane, Ryan Madison, first try scorer, best on field double last week, then geez, you've done well. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, the Cowboys are hard to get a read on because they had an ugly loss to the, the Bulldogs. Obviously, they've won some good games since, but they got absolutely spanked by the Roosters in round four and most recently put the cleanest for the Titans, which I. It, the, the Gold Coast, I don't know if they're, if they're in free fall, but they're doing some weird stuff. David Vetter out in the centres and not really playing any sort of good, sound, fundamental football. You tipped a 10-point margin of victory. I don't know. I feel like if the Eels are going to continue to build on that defensive base, they need to sort of keep the Cowboys to 12 or under is my gut feel here. So I'll go uh, 24-12. I'll just bump you up two points on the margin of victory there. First try scorer for me this week. Uh, gosh, it, it is a tough, tough uh, sled in here. We do like a little smash over try. We saw Sean Lane score last week. Uh, and Reed Money does like to feed Reg on the line too. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep backing Bowie Simonson, mate. I gave him the nod last week. He's playing some great football. I just wanted to get the FTS one time this year. He's got to be my boy. And then best on field for the Eels. Well, Ryan Madison was outstanding off the bench last week. I don't think we're going to see a repeat performance of a bench forward completely taking over the game as well as Ryan Madison is playing. That's not a discredit to his game. Um, he's been in sensational nick. I will go with... I'm, I'm going to go for a big game for Will Penasini. 
Big game for okay. Cassini. It, interesting, isn't it, that um, we're, we're talking about the forward battle and both of us have come up with the wingers. as uh, hey, The forwards lay the platform just so the backs get all the spotlight, mate. That's how it works. That's how, that's how the system works. <laughs> yeah, those glory-hunting backs, mate. Yeah. They, get, they get all the plaudits and um, get the... Uh, you know, get their names up on try scorers lists, that sort of thing, and it, all the all the tough work's done in the middle. I, I just think Will's shown me a fair bit last couple of weeks, even amongst the tough situations being thrown to, obviously playing wing against the Tigers, where defensively he wasn't as astute as he usually is, but he still got heavily involved in attack, and he backed that up into the Newcastle game where he had a fantastic tussle with Bradman Best. I think if the Eels, and this is obviously with the, the caveat that the Eels need to give him the ball and the opportunity to do so, but I think if he gets those looks... He's going to have a big game. Yeah. No, look, I think that's a fair call because Will is that, you know, you, he's he's had those moments in games where it's like he's threatening to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Mm-hmm. And this, this could just be the week because, as I said to you, I think that the um, the difference between the teams is the back line. I expect that the... Eels forwards will gain the ascendancy, which then will create that space for the backs to do their work. Um, oh, mate, it's uh, we found the ways for the eels to get home this week, and I think the I think the message would have been delivered to them anyway during the week that uh, let's stay with our strengths, let's play to our strengths. Exactly, and um, you know it doesn't mean that you uh, keep the ball tumbling through the middle and nothing else. <clears throat> but if you win that middle, you're going a long way towards a victory uh, uh, as far as the Eels are concerned anyway. Yes, sir. And on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Mate, obviously a huge game this week. Eels looking to consolidate their position in the top four up against the informed Cowboys. We'll have all the coverage of the post-game live from Saturday night into Sunday. Uh, but in the meantime, we're looking forward to hearing from you boys and girls for your uh, your fantasy menus, your perfect fast food free course meal. So make sure you drop that in the comments on the Cumberland Fro. Otherwise, as always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go the Eels.